Welcome again, everybody, to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today is episode number 59, where we reach into the mailbag and answer reader questions and respond to feedback, comments, and smart remarks. So join me, Logan, and John as we answer your questions. This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. So we've had some of these uh, barrel aging, shall we say. And they've been marinating in my inbox for a while, but I have them. So if people have sent in questions, I have a handful of them here saved. Uh, Keep sending them in and we'll we'll get to them eventually. Mainly when we run out of topics. So Right. All right, so our first one comes from Michael, uh, Michael Bruner. Michael says, uh, hey, guys, love these podcasts. Uh, here are or Here is a question to answer during a podcast. Uh, using a drawer lock router bit to make some drawers. Uh, the drawer lock router bit is for the corner joints. The front and backs are easy to measure. It's the width of the opening minus the slides. But how do you measure for the sides of the drawer? So the drawer depth is what I am assuming he means. Right. So Phil, how would you measure for those? Well, I like using those drawer joint bits because it creates what looks like a locking rabbit joint does, Mm -hmm. but with just two setups at the router table rather than like three different setups at the table saw. So, um, What's nice about them is that the bit height is the same no matter what your material is. So I think those operate, you set the bit to three-eighths of an inch and you're pretty much ready to go. So really what you need to do is measure your drawer cavity and then subtract three-quarters of an inch for the length of the two joints at the front and the back. So it'd be, it'd be a three-eighths inch on the front, three-eighths inch. Three-eighths inch on the back, yeah. Reveal, let's call Reveal. it. Reveal, yeah. And then uh, whatever the remaining thickness of your front and back are. So if it's three-quarter, let's just say it's probably going to be three-quarter inch front and back. So your drawer sides are going to be whatever the depth of the cavity is minus three quarter of an inch with a big asterisk being that that gives you a perfect fitting drawer theoretically. Yes. If you are going to err, err on the side of making a smaller drawer or shorter drawer than what you need. How do you know that, John? You can't fit a 16 and a quarter inch deep drawer into a 16 inch cabinet unless you cut the back out. This is yeah. just people should know this. <laughs> Shouldn't have to say this. See, and I'm always I always err on the side of measure the opening a minus an inch. Yeah. Because which is probably a good idea anyway, because yeah. then you can what you can do is and I'm gonna be honest, because if even if I were to cut all my pieces to using stops and all whatnot to exactly the same size and do the joints all exactly the same way on four different drawers, chances are those drawers are gonna measure different 
for whatever yep. gremlins are in the system. Yeah. Yeah, there's options if the drawer is short or not as deep as the cabinet. If it's too deep, then there are very few options. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, I mean, he's sounding like he's using drawer slides too. Yep. So, I mean, at, at least that is going to help with stopping the drawer. But I usually prefer to have drawers stop against a stop instead yep. of just clunking against the back of the cabinet. Yeah. And I've I've been getting lazy on my drawers because my drawer stops I've been using are little 5 eighths inch screws in the back. Hmm. So you reach into the back of the cabinet, screw in, screw in each side, and then you can fine tune it by backing the screw out or screwing it in a little further. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, and if you get the little, um, like little sticky felt pads, you know, you can put those on the head of the screw. So it's a nice soft clunk. Uh, so yeah. Sure. I like that. And, I mean, and to be honest, what are you really gaining by making a drawer, uh, exactly the size of the opening, like that little bit of extra depth. I don't know that there's ever been an instance I'm sure there has been where it's like, God, if this drawer was a quarter inch bigger, I could fit this in there. Uh, but quite honestly, I'm not terribly concerned yeah. about it. It's like yeah. we've, but that's more of a design problem that you should have yeah. expected earlier on in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Or, I mean, I, I've never, we, we've had a few projects that we have built at the magazine that we use thinner drawer parts on the sides versus the front, even though there's a, uh, a false front or something. And it's like, well, you, we're not really gaining much by doing that. So, yeah, you know, but all right. So hopefully that answers Michael's question. Uh, the next one I have, let's see my inbox stops lagging here. Uh, all right. Uh, so this is more of a feedback rather than a question. Uh, this is from Kevin LeBeau in Illinois. Uh, Kevin says, uh, response in regards to Shop Notes episode 11. Uh, he says, Hello, Shop Notes podcast. Apologies about sending a response to a nearly a year old episode, but just listen to episode 11 about encouraging the next generation of woodworkers. Uh, in my mailbox that day came this picture attached from Annie's Young Woodworkers kit club for my seven-year-old son. Uh, so Annie's Young Woodworker kit club must be like a subscription club for kids um he said he's in no way affiliated with the company uh but the kit club uh it's probably good for others as well attaching the corner shelf that he and i built from the project pack that came uh so basically uh kevin and his son it looks like uh, did this little kit um, I will send the photo over so we can get that on the show notes page and maybe cool. include a link to Annie's Young Woodworkers Kit Club. That was kind of an interesting little thing. I'm going to actually look that up real quick. Um, While you do that, I think what's interesting is um, I've noticed in the woodworking retailers, mm-hmm. I like to say catalogs because I still enjoy flipping through catalogs, but uh, you know, places like Lee Valley, Woodcraft, 
Rockler all offer more, uh, I guess, kits that you, for lack of a better word, of project sure. parts that you can work with. I mean, if you're interested in them on your own, just do it that way. But it's a great way, one good way to introduce kids to building things is to uh, put some of these together. Yeah. You, you know, know and it's always... a lot of, you know, the parts are lasered out of mm -hmm. thin wood or plywood or something like that. So it's kind of the modern technology meets an age old problem. Sure. You know, it's, it's yeah, funny because it really I was thought limited on tools too. That way, if you have a kit to start with, then yeah, it's a good way to yeah. get started. Well, I've always thought it would be a, an interesting uh, magazine article or department on like kit reviews because there are a lot of kits, not only for you know kids, um, but like kits to to do kitchen knives or kits for you know a shaving kit or I mean, just oh, there's yeah. a lot of prepackaged kits available from suppliers. Um, I always thought it would be a kind of a fun thing to review for the magazine. Uh, but yeah, Annie's Young Woodworkers Kit Clubs. It's annieskitclubs.com. Uh, it's super cool. There's a bunch of different woodworking kits you can get uh, from looks like trebuchets to trucks to drag cars, marble drops. Um, super cool. <laughs> this is actually really awesome. I, I might have to uh, get some of these for my kids. <laughs> Or myself, <laughs> so right. so we'll uh, we'll include a link to that. So good for you, Kevin. That's uh, that's awesome. Cool. Uh, that's good to see is stuff like that. I part of it is that uh, like my father-in-law is now that he's retired. Yep. And I I say retired, but he still works part time. So he's gone from working full time to being more of a mercenary. I think is really okay. what it's like. Uh, anyway, he's gotten into woodworking and was at a woodcraft and picked up a couple, you know, because stores know how to do this, is he got suckered by a couple of kits that he ended up getting one for each of the grandkids to put together. And it was kind of interesting to, to see. Uh, and I was even at a, a half-price bookstore not that long ago. And they had a kit for uh, like a desk lamp that it was mostly made out of wood. Parts were all CNC'd okay. and you created like a shade for it and housing and it was on a swivel base and all that kind of stuff. So, which brings up a question then for me is, and maybe it's just two different approaches. Like John made a good point that the pieces aren't you know, you don't need to have a full shop of tools to get involved with something. The um, gratification, it comes a lot quicker because you instantly see parts coming together. Yep. But, you know, so is it project building and the making that you go for, or is it the skills, tools, and techniques that you teach? I think it depends on the individual. I guess are you are you saying what what you get out of it or what you right like what's the and I don't know I hate to say it like what's the best way to do it because I don't know that there is a best way nor should yeah. there be 
No, I think I think it depends on the individual. Like if that person is more interested in in having a physical item that they've gotten, or if they're more interested in developing their own personal skill set. Right. You know, because I'm very much, I'm very much, uh, I would much rather get a set of skills than get a project. Like if I if I go do a weekend class with somebody, I could sure. care less what I come home with. I the the what I come home with is the knowledge and the skills, and that's more important to me. But you ask my seven year old, he would rather have something to play with. <laughs> so if he puts together a trebuchet kit, he doesn't care about the skills he got to get there. He cares right. about launching that golf ball through my window. Right. So. Right. So give a man a fish kit, and he'll complete a project for a day. Yeah. But yes. teach a man. To, to make a fish kit. kit. To make a fish kit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he can work for a life, lifetime. Right. And he will buy yes. tools for a lifetime. That's funny. Okay. So so, so we all have kids. And I yeah. think we addressed this in, in uh, episode 11. But, you know, one of my kids is very artistically minded. Yep. And is into carving. So I know... A little bit about carving so it was just a matter of demonstrating a few carving techniques and showing safe practices mostly my cardinal rule of woodworking which is to keep the sharp bits away from the squishy bits yeah um and once that was set i can just walk away walk essentially because then it's their creativity that goes into play in creating something that my child wants to create versus here, do this specific thing. Yeah. Well, and I think there's something to be said uh, as somebody who enjoys going and learning. Like, I guess that's, that's one thing I enjoy more than anything is just going and learning. Um, There's something to be said for being shown the proper and safe way to do something and then just having free reign of it. You know what I mean? Like, right. rather than getting shoehorned into a box, like, hey, you have to do it this way. It's like, no, here's how you use this, let's say, tool. This is how, here's how you use it safely. Now make something. Yeah. Whatever you want to make, make something. Right. So, like, yeah, here's all the, the rules you should follow. Once you've learned those, now this is when you can break those rules. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. So next question. Uh, this is from Ed, uh, Fred, not Ed. Fred. Fred from doesn't say where Fred's from, uh, but Fred was asking a question. Uh, he was watching the Dust Collection podcast. Have a question on the topic. Uh, I have a central dust system in my shop, so I'm, I'm guessing that means a dust collector that's kind of piped in. Uh, and it is hooked up to his router table, bandsaw, and miter saw. Uh, his problem is that uh, he has a rigid 13-inch thickness planer, the model TP-1300, uh, which is the one I had, uh, and have not been able to come up with a good way to attach it to my system. Rigid was no help. <laughs> Does anyone have a solution? Uh for that there's no shroud on it or uh well that's 
that's kind of would be my first question is I'm looking right now at the image of the planer because I'm pretty sure that is the model I had. Yeah, because most of them have like a two and a half inch port yes. on the back, right? Well, yeah, and actually, so with the uh, model that I had of the rigid planer, and I don't remember if mine was the TP1300, uh, it might not be. Now that I'm looking at this, it looks like mine might have been a little bit newer one. Okay. Uh, the one I had was a, um, it had a plastic shroud that was able to be detached off the back. Okay. Um, and that plastic shroud uh, was held on with a little thumb screw. And actually, now that he's asking this question, I was organizing my hardware the other day and I found the thumb screw that holds that shroud on from that planer <laughs> that I sold and I couldn't remember what it was from. It's like in this drawer. That's funny. But anyways, uh, there was a little thumb screw that held that shroud on. Right. And on one end was a two inch dust port and the other end was a four inch dust port. Okay. Um, so if rigid wasn't helpful in figuring out a way to hook it up or if they don't have a solution for that, cause it is an older model. I know what my solution would be, but I want to hear your guys's first. So that he doesn't have that shroud at all. I don't believe he does. Okay. Um, if it's me, I am manufacturing some sort of shroud, probably out of like hardboard mm -hmm. okay. yep. panels with plywood caps. And then okay. drill out the plywood caps to match whatever I need. Or using drilling a hole for, let's say, PVC, and then having the PVC come out and then using like a reducer or a Fernco rubber fitting that would attach to the to the system. Does that make sense? Yep. I think that all John, sounds good. Maybe a little duct tape in there. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. <Family> wire. <laughs> Duct tape or duct tape? Both. No, actual ducks. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's like high glue, except made out of ducks. Yeah. So what I would do, uh, and I, I stood up to grab this, I would use a piece of PVC like this guy, okay? This okay. is thin wall PVC. Now, I'm, I'm saying thin wall because uh, this is, let me see, it's, it just says three-inch sewer pipe. I would get four-inch probably. Uh, and what I would do, Fred, is I would take, uh, if I remember right, on that planer, the chips come out like a slot or the shavings come out like a slot on the back. And Seems I would right. take, yep, I would take a four-inch piece of PVC pipe, cap one end. Well, before you cap it, I would cut a slot in it or maybe slit the entire thing and then use a heat gun to kind of mold out a flat flange off the top that you could screw into the top of the planer so that the rest of the cup is over the slot and then hook up a dust collection hose to the end of it. That's what I would do. Um, okay. The, the thin wall PVC like this uh, softens very, very easily with a heat gun and you can mold it. So I think you could get a really good seal if you peeled out a flange, screwed it on, and maybe used a little bit of duct tape. Or uh, even some ad self-adhesive uh, weather stripping. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of some, times some that's on the yeah. those are on the shrouds anyway. Yeah. I feel like I feel like this is a tip we need to put in the magazine. <laughs> yes, we need I think... like two solutions for when you break slash lose your dust collection shroud from your planer. Yep. You're on an Apollo capsule. <laughs> you lost the shroud to your planer. Right. And all you have are a couple of random sheets of hardboard and some PVC. Yeah. You know, actually, one thing that might work well, too, um, while we're talking about this, and I'm thinking this because of the router table in our shop, is a uh, sheet metal floor register. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We had one on the back of our router table. We have it still. Um, it's it's a sheet metal floor register that you would install in a house that you're doing new ductwork in. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have the rectangle, what are they, probably 10 inches? Well, they come so? in different Maybe. sizes. You're, it's they? like 3 by 10 or yeah, 3.5 by 12 or whatever, yeah. And, and you could probably get that to fit pretty well and... They go from that rectangle into a four inch or six inch round fitting. Right. So that might that might actually be the more straightforward solution. So I can see that. Less fun, less yeah. uh, less engineering involved, but yeah. you know, it, it depends it on your level of wanting to do this yourself. Yes. You know, because I think there's also probably a good number of our listeners out there. Uh, who have access to a 3D printer because you could do yeah. some kind of a 3D printed solution. Yep. Because um, we've had tips or a CNC solution also because we've had people send in tips you know, for making adapters where it's basically just a couple of layers of MDF. One layer is cut to fit you know, the tool and then, you know, two layers down is the one that fits your shop vac or something like that. You know, and you could cut out something like that with a, with a CNC or laser or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so there you go, Fred, if, uh, if you need an excuse to buy a 3d printer, this is your opportunity. Uh So, uh, all right. So let's roll into some questions we had on our Q and a the other day. All right. So the Q&A, for people who don't know, is Woodsmith has what we call our Woodsmith Unlimited, which gives you access to all the back issues of Woodsmith Magazine. Uh, Also gets you involved in our weekly video series that we call Woodworking Essentials. So you'll get several videos every week related to that. Uh, I don't remember some of the other benefits on there, too. Oh, some of our back or our SIBs, our books that we've published over the years, and then access to uh, six plans a year from Woodsmith Plans. So, and then every other month, members can participate in a online Q&A session where several of us from the staff will be there live and you can submit questions beforehand uh, or while we're talking, if something else comes up and you can submit a question and it actually turns into a pretty fun, uh, freewheeling conversation of things. Yeah. So because really, it is live because it is live. Yeah. Yep. So, um, we'll take a couple of those as a sampling from what you would expect. Yeah. 
So, uh, last month, John and I did that, and we had a question from our buddy Dirt Farmer J uh, from his YouTube channel, Dirt Farmer J. He uh, he wanted to know what the main differences were between wood body planes and metal body planes, uh, kind of in a maintenance and from a use standpoint. Hmm. So. Now, John has extensive knowledge of hand planes. Right. <laughs> it's like, grab the one that's got a sharp blade on it. That is my tip. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I have several wood-bodied planes. Mm-hmm. And I have several metal-bodied planes. And I will honestly say that I've gone back and forth on what I prefer and why. Now, if we're talking just regular bench planes, block planes, I would say that I probably prefer the metal body planes for reasons of predictability. Yep, that's Because um, in spite of whatever perceived reputation people may have about us, is we don't necessarily woodwork every day for hours on end as much as we would like to. Correct. Therefore, I would like to be able to use a plane on Saturday when I have a couple of hours to get out to my shop, set it down, come back the following Wednesday when I can get next into the shop and know that the setting on that plane is liable to be the same and I can continue to make shavings on a wood bodied plane, especially, like I said, for, you know, smoothing, jointing, trimming tasks, uh, that plane may or may not be holding that same setting if it's a wood body plane. Correct. And that is due to changes in humidity and temperature and all that jazz. Right. Which will subtly affect the shape of the body of the plane. Also, my shop is not conditioned space. It is uh, free range conditioned. So whatever the temperature is outside, except for like yesterday. So yesterday here in Des Moines, it was 52 degrees. Inside my shop, because of the cold ground and the cold slab, it it felt like minus 52. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they tend to do that in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. So if I have, and I have a couple of wood body planes, like I said, and those do make subtle shifts and that can affect how the blade fits, how it cuts, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that, uh, that pretty much follows what I would say. I mean, for a everyday user, you get much more predictability, like you said, with metal body plane. But with that being said, I really enjoy, or there are, and there are a lot of people that really enjoy the feel of wood on wood. Um, right. The the wood body planes tend to be significantly lighter. Right. Um, and there are people that really just like that wood on wood feel. Um, and I do like that. I mean, because I have a yeah. little block plane that's that I made that's wood. Uh, I made a rabbiting plane 
that's solid wood and i love using them because yeah. there is there's they are light you know they're really easy to use um yeah let's talk about the weird love child though what about infill planes <laughs> because i think you get like the boat best the best of both worlds um and i know we've we talked about it a couple of weeks ago and i feel i've mentioned to you i've really enjoyed using the infill planes lately um, oh yeah because you made those miter planes for the magazine yep. yep and you and you've been using one that was a shop notes project right or a woodsman and project one of the two yeah it was a shop notes project and then my yep. block plane is one that i uh completed i didn't make all of it but yep was another shop notes project and the same thing with my sh that shoulder plane is an infill so you you have the benefits of the wood infill supporting the blade so you have that really solid support yep but you have a metal body that kind of constrains the movement of the infill pieces mm -hmm. so about the only thing you yeah. don't have is the feel in use of the wood plane on the surface of the workpiece. Yeah. But I think, I think you get, I think in my opinion, you get a completely different feel from a metal body or all wood body too, because the, the infills tend to be a, they tend to be really heavy comparatively, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So you compare a, like a block plane to a miter plane, the miter planes would be significantly heavier. Uh, same thing with an infill smoother. Um, I also personally, I enjoy the no adjustment thing. No adjuster, I guess is better. Oh, word. really? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, okay. it's very simple. A little tap here, a little tap there. If, if stuff's not working right, you could be tapping all day and get nowhere. Right. Um, and that's my problem that it's been yeah. is. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget. I was at, um. Oh, it was the first ever Handworks, and it was one of those little boutique-y um, uh, wood body plane makers. You know, just the small guy from the Northeast that makes planes. And he was he was trying to get one of his planes to cut, and he came from, I don't remember where he came from, but he came to like super hot and humid Iowa. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I can't get this dang thing to cut. He's like, you know, just the changes in humidity, and it's like, oh man, I feel, I feel ya. Um, but I I do enjoy the simplicity of it, you know. Um, so yeah, you know. For example, we have a a vintage Stanley thirty nine and three quarter dado plane. Yep. Cast, and then I also have. I think we had a box of wood planes. This is a seven eighths inch wide dado plane, solid yep. wood. And they're similar, not the same, but similar. And it's just kind of interesting to see how, you know, like the seven eighths plane, the wood body plane is significantly lighter. Yep. But, you know, like the Stanley plane has a little bit more positive control on a lot of its settings, I would say. But I, I think it comes, I mean, I hate to say it because I feel like it's kind of a cop out answer, but it's like, it depends. You no, know, it does completely. You know, it's like, what do you want from your woodworking tools in terms of performance or enjoyment or, or whatever? I mean, because they're, 
you know, obviously traditional tools were mostly wood. Yeah. Well, and I think if, if you're somebody that likes to make your tools, wood body stuff's easier to make. Sure. Yeah. Because it's just a more interesting, or it's just an easier material to work with, I guess yeah. I would say. Yeah. And I mean, you get some of the like Kronov style where they're cut apart, everything's yeah. cut in. You glue it back together. It's, I mean, they're dead simple, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But if I'm if I'm sitting in my shop and I'm, I need to smooth out a panel real quick. I'm grabbing my Lee Nielsen four and a half because I know the blade's sharp. I know I can adjust it real quick, and I can yeah. get what I want out of it. Sure. Um, and that could be a, a function of not having a good infill smoother, but you know. All right. Next question was on glue. When do you choose high glue versus standard woodworking PVA glue? Why and what are the benefits of high glue? And this is, I think, something we've touched on in our podcast before. So, okay. John, John. we'll let you take it. <laughs> well, I'm usually the just grabbing the PVA glue kind of guy because that's what I'm used to. And I don't know, it seems to work pretty well for me but you guys seem to always um go for the hide glue more and it seems to work pretty well for you guys as far as you see like hide glue gives you a little bit more um working time and like you've mentioned before it's it more lubricates the joint seems like when you put pva glue on if it's a really tight joint it's going to start sticking and catching right away yep. so you better be ready to get that all assembled even with the the tight bond three or you know the, the stuff that doesn't dry as quick it's gonna seize up pretty quick so i don't know if you have few joints i would say if you're you know happy using the pva glue just go with that but if it's a more complex um type assembly you might be better off with hide glue and um i don't know you guys seem to like the cleanup of hide glue easy warm water Yep. So, yeah. But, I think that's about it. I, I and here again, it's another one of those answers where it depends, you know, because I grew up learning woodworking from my dad, and he was a, you know, original tight bond, tight bond two kind of person, and that's what all my early projects were glued with, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I started using and i don't even remember when i started using liquid hide glue it was after i started working here <clears throat> and it was mostly due to wanting to have more time for getting parts aligned and assembled before the glue seized up you know the strength of liquid hide glue is pretty comparable to regular woodworking glues so um you know, like yellow glue is probably a little bit stronger depending on its formulation. But when we're talking about it, it's, they're functionally equivalent. Yep. You know, so um, I like the fact that the glue lines to me are more invisible with uh, liquid hide glue. Um, I find that cleanup is a little bit easier for me, like cleaning out dried glue say like in the corners of a drawer after you've assembled it or the inside corners of a case 
if there's a little bit of squeeze out and I didn't catch it right away. I feel like it, it comes out easier with less, with fewer negative implications for finishing than it was if, mm-hmm. if it would be for, for yellow glue, at least in my experience, you know, like I see John do put stuff together with yellow glue and it turns out awesome. Like every time for him. And, um, but for interior projects, I use liquid hide glue pretty much all the time. Uh, if I'm building something that's an outdoor project or a cutting board, then I'm using tight bond three. And I used to just stick with those two. And then them freaks at tight bond came out with the quick and thick, which is awesome. Uh, is awesome for yeah. some, you know, putting on molding or, um, uh, quickly gluing something together where clamping is just problematic. Yeah. Yeah. I guess to me, there's, there's so few uh, drawbacks on high glue. I, I have noticed that I don't, in my experience, it is a weaker joint than PVA glue. I know a lot of people say, no, it's exactly the same. Uh, Not in my experience. I think if I need something that's super, super structural, Usually I'll use PVA glue, but the there's very, very, very few drawbacks of high glue, in my opinion, that the benefits way outweigh the any potential drawbacks. Um, I will say the biggest, in my opinion, is shelf life because I've had some, and technically PVA glue has a shelf life as well, but I've had some bottles that just expire. I mean... I'll think I need two or three bottles on hand, and then all of a sudden I'll look at them, and they're four years old, and it's like, oh, well, got to throw those away now, you know, if they don't, if they don't, uh, if they don't stick, they're worthless. Um, one of the biggest reasons I like high glue is I have a tendency to wipe glue squeeze out off with my finger, and you animals just wipe it off under the bench because <laughs> you guys are Neanderthals and yeah. you grew up in a barn. Because it's not my bench. Well, right? <laughs> I wouldn't do it to but, my bench. <laughs> but if it's like, if I have an apron on, a lot of times I'll just wipe it on the apron. If I don't, I'll just rub my fingers around until it dries. And then I just go wash my hands and it comes off. It's amazing. So yeah. that's just, I guess that's just my bit. Yeah. So I don't, it seems like for me to just, I'm trying to glue stuff up and move on where like, uh, high glue takes a lot longer to dry to yeah. like where you can take the clamps off. Right. So. And I, that's fair. I totally get that. I, again, that goes back to my nature of how I would do woodworking where I'm not, you know, like a lot of the stuff that I see that you're doing, John is for the show or for the magazine or something like that, where, you know, the clock's ticking and we got to get it going. And I, and I totally get that. Um, and that's not to say that I won't use yellow glue. I, I think part of it also for me is I'm a little bit of a, I don't know, throwback or a romantic or something like that. So there's that connection there of, a, you know, a tr- it's like a traditional tool, you know, for a long time, mm-hmm. I followed a guy, uh, Stephen Shepard, um, who went, had a blog called the full chisel blog. And he was really a big proponent of hide glue in all its forms. Um, So much so that he had on his site and he had a book about hide glue where he could make a, 
by adding like alum to hide glue, you can make it waterproof. So, okay. um, and then adding different things to extend the open time or the working time even more, you know, or give it different characteristics, you know. So it was kind of, you know, he took a real traditional approach to it that he didn't like. You know, some people have chemical sensitivities and can't use things like epoxy because of the the fumes and odors. So by taking hide glue and making it waterproof by adding alum to it, bam, you have kind of a natural quote unquote epoxy. And he yep. was even able to use uh, hide glue when gluing like uh, metal to wood. And he found that if you take a, a, a clove of garlic, slice it, rub it on the metal, and then glue it together with hide glue to wood, that whatever is in the garlic, and I'm not going to pretend that I know anything about the science or voodoo behind this, but that it would create a solid bond, which was kind of to me. I feel, I feel like we're getting into like some weird natural home remedy type things yeah. here. Right, right. And that's <laughs> at, when you first get into it, that's totally how it feels. It's like, try this one weird trick if you have tinnitus, you know? <laughs> It's like the old pee on your foot if you have athlete's foot thing. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. No? Nobody else did that? Okay. That was just no. me. I, I was doing that anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're doing when you're peeing in the shower. Right. It's medicinal. Okay. All right. So let's get back into some, I guess, some YouTube stuff here. Uh, okay. Uh, Rodney says, hey, I have an older Rockwell table saw. With the tube rails in the front and in the back, any idea where I can get a fence for it that doesn't cost an arm and a leg? Uh, nope. You're nope. Need some They're going to cost an arm and a leg. And some duct tape. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Oh, my Kills, dad. Kills my dad had a fence. Oh yeah, no, it's not an arm. And a, it's still kind of an arm and a leg. Okay. There was. Uh, way long ago when my dad started woodworking and got a step up table saw from what he had is he bought the Vega fence yeah. rip fence system. It still uses tubes, yep. but it was a really nice. And I heard at the time or when I started getting more into woodworking myself, a lot of people would rip on it, but man, that saw, I think he still well, has it. Yeah. It's a decent fence. I, it's a decent fence. The, yeah. We had the Vega on, uh, we had a table saw the print shop and managed. We had the Vega on it. It was a decent fence. Yeah. Oh. So um, I would try that. Rockler still sells Vega fence system. Right now, I see it 26 inch for 329 and the 50 inch for 349. No, that's not It's less bad. than a new saw. It's less than a new saw, and it's a yep. solid, it's a solid, yep. solid fence. Um, he might try something you know, like if you can find an old Beesmeyer on eBay or something like that. Yep. I would say keep an eye on Craigslist and Facebook. If you're on Facebook, um, I see fences occasionally around us go for sale. Uh, you might be able to grab one. So, yeah. Um, okay. I, have I mean, do you idea. even really need a fence for a table saw though? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. 
The best part was working here and seeing some of our designers who shall remain nameless when it called for breaking down sheets of plywood and they would do it fenceless. Right. Oh, my. I mean, I push the limits, but that's even beyond me. Right. Uh, so I've had we've had a couple of general comments. Um, there's been a handful of these recently uh, asking about if we have shirts and mugs or any shop notes, podcast apparel. Uh, I think that is in the works. So yep. we will let everybody know when that is available. Um, I think we'll probably get some woodsmiths stuff available as well. Uh, and it takes a while to go through these YouTube comments because we have so many episodes on YouTube. So I'm just right. going through some of the most recent But the shop ones. notes stuff is fun because it's retro cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is. Long, long ago, shop notes had mugs that we would sell through the magazine. And that's – I inherited this one. So Yeah, I stole one too. I have one at home. All right. I'm going to have to go through the rest of these YouTube comments for a later, later episode because there's just – there's a lot of them. All right. Well, we'll uh, like I said, if you have any comments, questions, or smart remarks, you can leave them on YouTube, or you can send them into us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Just reference the fact that it's a podcast question, and we will answer those here. Any other? We'll throw it in the, we'll throw it in the bucket. Yeah. We'll throw it in the bucket, let it steep for a little bit, and then haul it out for a regular Q&A session. Yeah. So maybe we need to do these like every other month or something like that. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay. So should we do a, a quick update on how we're doing on projects? Yes. Okay. John. Um, I am still waiting for my um, black uh, super glue, Starbond glue, to come in. Ah. So that is what is holding me up. And then one handle for my uh, false drawer fronts. And then, so I think it's supposed to come in today. So maybe right. I can push hard on it, get it done this weekend, and 13 of my years of my life will have come to fruition. And you'll have some closure. Multi decade project. Right. With that. So we did have, we had one guy on, I think, YouTube said that he had started a pencil post bed for his granddaughter. When she was like seven, and now she is nineteen and in college, and he's hoping to finish it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, For hey, just turn those pencils upside down. Then she has a loft to use in college. Yeah, right. Yeah, we feel you, man. It's uh, yeah. sometimes not easy. Mm -hmm. Logan. Uh, so I did finish my nightstands on time. And for everybody wanting to see photos of those, uh, it, we got that on the show notes page last week, um, or Phil did. Um, so finished them on time. I will say, a little disappointed in my charging, my wireless chargers that I recessed in the tops of them. Oh yeah. I tested them. I tested them all out. I routed the recess, put the charger in there, threw my phone on it. No problems. Worked just fine. Um, so a large portion of my last, uh, my Saturday was pulling wires to run these wireless chargers in the, in the nightstands. And I don't know if adding the oil made the wood denser, you know, because the, the, mm. the charging is, is hit and miss now. And it was working beautifully before I tested it a handful of times. Yeah. And I, I even told my wife, I was like, how much is it going to suck when these chargers don't work <laughs> when I install them? And I jinxed myself. Right. Um, 
But have you tried like not, putting tin foil on the antennas? I, I have not tried that. Uh, but regardless, chargers or not in there doesn't matter. Uh, they they look good. I love them. Um, super nice. So got those done, installed on the twentieth. Made the date by about five hours, six hours. Uh, left the spare, so I probably could have done a third one. You know. <laughs> uh, so now I have to get a couple of the Matt Cremona chair kits put together for some photos. And I finished, I did finish my toaster ovens right behind me, finished stabilizing some cherry burl that I had, um, for some duck calls. I have, uh, one of my arborists, uh, had asked me to make him a couple duck calls out of a cherry we milled. So I'm gonna try whip those out maybe this week. Um, and then it is on to my next, finishing project which is going to be finishing my built-ins for my office so i have to get some soft maple ordered um i don't have any soft maple that's dry to use so i figure soft maple is a good painting hardwood Uh yeah as is poplar but i think i technically think that the soft maple is cheaper through liberty so i'm gonna go that route nice so yeah all right i'm my March 20th deadline is a gentleman's dresser that we had started on the TV show. And I've been going through recently and doing some finishing on it, sanding and finishing. So I pulled the doors off, the big drawer out, the the, the upper drawer on it, I, we, built, we built to fit that opening. Yeah. It was tight. So much so that I had to remove the top in order to get the drawer out. So I trimmed that down uh, and then finished that. And then there's like two pull-out bins in there that uh, I sanded and finished. And now since the weather's been kind of warm enough to get above my I want to be outside in my workshop threshold, I've been working on sanding the case. And that's a big project with a lot of surface area. So there's yeah, it is. there's a lot of sanding in my future and I don't know how I feel about that, which is probably why it's been sitting in my shop uncompleted for this amount of time. But I'll tell you what, do you know how much room you're gonna have when that thing gets out of your shop? Oh my goodness, it's like I mean, having every... a Sub-Zero freezer in my shop. Yeah, like every time, every time I drop something off at your place, I'm like, ah, the thing takes up a lot of room. <laughs> so disgusting yeah you'll have you'll have room for a new like maybe you need to get a radial arm saw to take up that room nope okay i i have a i have a router table that i would like to make and one of our our horizontal mortising machines that chris did i want to make one of those so yeah yeah so anyway so i have that that i'm working on and I feel like I'm making some pretty solid progress on there. It's just a matter of hopefully being able to string together a couple of warm days to put finish on that case. Um, yeah. And then that one that one will be done. So, but I have like the top is finished. You know, every basically everything but the the carcass itself. So, and then I started yeah. on a couple of projects uh, for my wife for her birthday coming up so okay nice so yeah. but you did you did find a you found a new favorite water-based finish right 
I did. <laughs> For those who have any experience with my writing in the magazine and or TV show stuff, even though we try to be relatively agnostic or have in the past on preferred finishes or glues or products tools. or whatever, <laughs> yeah. tools, yeah, methodologies. Um, because my shop is in the garage unheated and any finishing that I want to do in the winter has to take place in the basement, I've steered away from oil-based finish and more towards water-based finish just to keep the fumes down. And I had a can of finish that I wrapped up using, I think on my radio cabinet rehab that I used the last of it. And then, and it, that has been my go-to finish for years. And I really like the way that it looks, the way it stands up, all that. But I started using uh, a can of Masters Armor from uh, Old Masters Finish. Mm -hmm. And I totally know that they're a sponsor and everybody can be as cynical and negative as they want to about this. But I started using that on this gentleman's dresser and oh my goodness, it is, <laughs> it is a delight to use. And, you know, very rarely do I get a chance to use finishes essentially side by side the way yeah. that I did here, which is why it made it stand out. But it just flows so nicely onto a project, levels really well. Uh, most water-based finishes have kind of like a bluish tint to them. Yes, they do. In the can, which doesn't usually show up, but this actually has more of a, it's milky white, but a little, has a little bit of amber in it. And I do like water-based finishes for the fact that they don't impart an amber color to wood. Okay. For most woods. Um, like white oak or maple. I like having that, those, the paler colors stand out, yep. but the general finishes have, or not general finishes, the old masters has just a little bit of amber enough to make it feel to me a little bit clearer. Um, I also found that it cleaned up off of the brush a lot easier too than the other finish I was using. Interesting. Yeah. See, and I'm, I, We'll go on the record and say I hate water-based finishes. <laughs> like, just I mean, they're, I'm just not a fan of the way they look. Um, I like I like that amber color, and my experience with water-based finishes in the past has not been the greatest. But we did do a video, and again, like you said, Phil, they're a sponsor. You guys can make all the smart remarks you want. Uh, but we did videos with old masters and I did, uh, I had used that master's armor on like a birdhouse or, or something, just a, just some prop that we had that was going to go out, you know, go outside air quotes. Um, and it, oh my God, <laughs> like it self levels so amazing. Like I've never had a finish that self leveled like that. And yeah. when we were, when we had old masters here, uh, their their technical guy that was there with us he's like flood it on he's like put it on way thicker than you think you need to I'm like really like, yeah put yeah it on thick like, i don't think like, so i don't i don't want to do that i want to go thin like multiple thin coats is better right and he's like no he's like put it on thick it will level 
And actually, maybe I put that on a uh, might have put that on a door, maybe. Um, and Could it be. turned out super super smooth. Um, it was rather impressive. I like yeah. the amber color, so I will stick with my oil finishes. But for water based, oh yeah, yeah. And it was the Masters armor that they have the additive you can add for extra. Yeah, hardener that they have in there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if you're using it like on a floor or something, which is one of the places I've used water-based before, was on yep. floors. Um, the floor, or tabletops, floor yeah. Yep, so pretty awesome. Yep. All right. Okay. John, you got anything to wrap this up? That's all I got. Okay. No parting words of wisdom? Nope, not today. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Once again, we'd love to hear your questions, comments, and smart remarks. Uh, you can leave those on our YouTube channel on the description that goes with this podcast. You can also find photos and links for the things that we've been talking about on the show notes page for this episode, and it's at woodsmith.com slash podcast. There you'll find all of our other ones, and you can subscribe to the Shop Notes podcast wherever you get your podcast. Otherwise, we'll see you next Friday for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Everybody. This episode of Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com. 